Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You are tuned in listening to United to the Moose. This is a cinematic odyssey here on WWVU FM Morgantown 91.7 FM. We are here, you know, to talk about a film near and dear to my heart about a team that I don't really care about, <laughs> baseball team in particular. Uh, I mentioned this last week. Well, we talked about it briefly last week. We're talking about the history of the Seattle Mariners, directed and written and also co-written by uh, John Boyce and Alex Rubenstein. Um, I kind of briefly mentioned John's history uh, prior up until making this documentary series. You know, very he's very prolific within the internet uh, community like in terms of like content creation i guess but i i mean to to kind of pigeonhole his his work as just mere content isn't necessarily a good way to describe what he makes he certainly is more than just a content creator he's a documentarian through and through and his his uh, style is extremely unique and it shows uh, very bright and true in this uh, documentary. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I first saw this when it came out, when it was releasing in like 2019 or 2020. And I watched every episode because they, they they had six six episodes. They released once one once a week. So it was like six weeks, six weeks long. Uh, to watch the whole thing, <clears throat> loved every second of it. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of John Boyce and his work. I cannot get enough of his of his stuff. Um, but I have been kind of uh lacking and catching up on his new stuff, particularly the the Dave Steve documentary, and the uh, documentary about the Charlotte Bobcats. Ooh. Uh, when Michael Jordan was owning, and you know helming the team back in was it oh six oh seven whatever year what oh no 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 it was 2011 2012 where the bobcats like lost the most games in nba history yeah Yeah, that team and Um, he just sold the team too yeah like recently but yeah i remember watching this uh the history salamander as a while ago and just being blown away like I was, <clears throat> was taken aback by it. Um, and I am an Angel fan. So I I don't particularly like the Mariners too much, but this documentary made me love the Mariners. And that is an achievement. And I know a lot of baseball fans that have seen it can attest to that statement and will probably say the same thing regardless of who you're a fan of. But even for non-baseball fans and watchers, like if you don't even know anything about baseball, that doesn't even matter. Uh, because I think what John manages to pull off is something uh, remarkable in terms of like caring for not just like a sports team, or like the individual achievements, but uh, you know the people of the organization, the players spe- specifically. 
Yeah. Um, which which they dive deep into like the final couple of parts of the the docu series. But I mean, yeah. What 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 are you what are your like first impressions of it? Well, you're you're exactly right. They don't spend a ton of time on the general manager or the manager or the you know in game decisions. This isn't Moneyball. This isn't um picking apart how to manage a team and how the team was run and why, you know, everything came up short because baseball is a game of fluke, luck, chance, and a prayer. Um, hitting a baseball is, uh, I think it's been scientifically proven that it is one of the most difficult things to do on planet earth. Um, it is one of the most difficult physical accomplishments, uh, that you can achieve. Um, and I think, like, there is a really, really solid, beautiful story to be found in the Seattle Mariners of all teams. Now, like, I grew up watching baseball, too. I mean, I can't say that I've been a fan of any team because I've bounced around so many times. Uh, it, it'd be really criminal to say anything. Uh, you know, I've been... <laughs> I was, let's see, I was a Red Sox fan. Um, I've rooted for the Phillies, the Nationals, the Cubs at some points. Um, I bounced, I think I, I think I supported the Mets a season or two. It was weird. It was a weird time. Uh, now <laughs> <I'm>, the Mets. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just, uh, now I'm kind of in on the Blue Jays just because I'm like, I have to pick something that like gives me credence when I say it. Because yeah. The minor league team is up where I'm from. Um, mm. and you know, that play, they showed a play of the, um, triple play the Mariners turned against the Blue Jays, uh, in like 2015, 16, something like that. Um, two of the players involved in that I have seen play in Buffalo, oh, uh, really? Kevin Pilar and Ryan Goins. I've seen <laughs> both of them play in Buffalo and I'm like, Oh, look at that familiar names. That's pretty nice. I mean. Even the player that, uh, what is it, Mike Blowers, yeah. called every single characteristic of his home run, Matt Tuiasosopo, yeah, he played in Buffalo as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he 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 was in he was in Buffalo and playing there. Oh. But um, there's a really solid story in a team that I have never thought of once. It's not like they've been relevant in the playoff hunt. It's not like I've been, you know, caring about them. They haven't really been like a a a, a consistent presence. And I'm like, oh, like Ichiro plays there. That's that's it. Yeah. Oh, they had that perfect game when I was ten. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs growing up. I was never talking about them late in the season. They weren't, yeah. it wasn't like a high value prospect. They had Robinson Cano for what a season. And then he went to the Mets and like, that was maybe the most that I ever heard of the Seattle Mariners. But like, there are so many interesting stories within the whole thread of the organization. I started talking about this documentary the the docuseries to a friend of mine who does not watch baseball at all and mm. i started out with how john boys starts out the um entire thing the first part with in 1932 <laughs> it starts with four what is it 40 counts of arson <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> the Seattle Mariners exist, oversimplified, because some guy in the 30s burned down a baseball field. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 brief like history before the Mariners became a thing is hilarious. Like, yeah. <laughs> The story of how, yeah, the team was established. Yeah, like the, the arsonist this, burns down a stadium. What, this, what, I forget the reason why. He was just like mad or something. Great Depression. Oh, he was just doing thing. it just to do it. Yeah, probably. I think. And then, it, and then a new stadium was built because they had like a minor league team. Yeah. And so the new stadium was built. Sick um, stadium. But, yeah, but it was all yeah. <laughs> that was his name. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the guy was called Sick. <laughs> it's amazing. Sick Stadium. Yeah, and uh, was it that was it that like out of commission as well? Didn't they build another one? It was. They were trying to expand it to like major league capacity, and when they did, oh, so, that's right. And their and plumbing, plumbing wasn't up to it. Yeah, the plumbing. Yeah, <laughs> poop. The sewage started like leaking onto the field. They had porta potties. The players couldn't take showers. Like, <laughs> you if you went to the bathroom, you weren't washing your hands. And there was a story they mentioned that what was it a was it a player? Or was it just like a like a fan that was stuck in a porta potty? It was just a fan. Yeah, like he was locked into a porta potty. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. for a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> God, what a time. Yeah. And they were they were called the pilots at that time. They, they weren't were. the Mariners yet. They lasted for but one. But it's funny the way that um because they, they explain like what there was a there was like um a, a politician that wanted a team. Yeah. And was in Kansas City, right? Bingo. And yeah, he wanted a team because that was it the athletics? Yep. Athletics left to go to Oakland. Bingo. And then the rest was history for them. Unfortunately, they're leaving Oakland now, which makes me very upset. Sad. But that's that's a different conversation. But anyways, yeah, so he lost the baseball team and he was very mad. So he like threatened the MLB with with like revoking the antitrust or no, no, no. Yeah. What, the, yeah. Antitrust uh, legislation that protects like the monopoly they have. Yep. Um. And so the MLB was like, all right, fine, we'll capitulate, we'll give you a team. And in, and like in order for that to be balanced, they, they added the Mariners into the mix as well. Right? Is that yeah. correct? Nice yeah. One? They yeah. said three, they said three years uh to you know get a stadium up to standard and you know prepare and all that stuff. And the senator from Kansas City was like, No, I want it now. He pulled a Veruca salt and <laughs> got it yeah. they were like fine and they said okay one year and seattle was like building the seats like during the season like they would add a new row like between games and people would be able to come in and sit a little bit higher up they were adding <laughs> features as games were being played <laughs> wait was and, this at the kingdom or was this somewhere no, else this was this this was still six stadium because Kingdom didn't come up until I want to say late they, mid 70s. Until the Mariners. The 80s or 70s? Because the pilots left. 
Yeah. In a season. So they didn't have a team for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But and then yeah. And then they had like a, a competition where um you know yeah. Seattle citizen could name the team. Yeah, I think and it was like guy, 75. Yeah, Roger Smotis named the team Mariners. Like that that was his name. And then they yeah. he won it, but he disappeared like he was never seen again after that. Yeah. Which is so odd. And you know, I want to I want to jump on the name Mariner just really quick because ah, it's a really good one. And they 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 touch on it at the end. You know, it's the sea and all that it is challenged and given to the people of Seattle. Um, you know, the the deal with the Seattle Mariners is that they are on an island of their own in yeah. just location up in Washington State. There is nothing nearby them. There is no baseball team. You, I think you said the closest one to them is probably one in California, right? Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. The Giants. That'll probably be the closest geographical team to Seattle. And that's far. That's, that is really that's far. That's far, though. That's still far away. <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking at the, the border, you got Washington State, you got the little neck of Idaho and Montana. Nobody. Nobody's there. And then, you got Oregon yeah. down below you, whom nobody's there. Then you've yeah. got all of Northern California to go down through before you even hit another baseball team. Yeah. And they're lonely. And, you know, the, the theme that uh, John Boys tends to go up to is like, or at least what I was able to draw from it was, you know, you're not there forever. You're there for a little bit. Because eventually you will be called home and you will feel like you have to get up and go. Yeah. And they will. Uh, managers got up and left after great seasons to manage closer to their home just because yeah. they missed it. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. left for that same reason. Um, other guys were looking for bigger bags, bigger money, and they left. Um, but like when I hear, when I actually put thought into like the name Mariner, I was drawn to a poem that I read in high school mm. for school. It's by, oh my gosh, what's his name? Samuel Taylor Coleridge, English poet. It is his longest poem that he ever wrote. <laughs> it's called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Uh. And it basically is the story of this mariner mm. a, a guy's on his way to a wedding and this the mariner appears on his ship and the mariner asks to tell him a story and the guy accepts and so the mariner tells him a story and they go he he tells him about his expedition and the ship is sailing around and they reach the seas of the antarctic unintentionally that's not where they're trying to go but they 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 find the misfortune and end up in the Antarctic. The Mariner takes his crossbow and shoots an albatross. And the crew on the ship uh, initially doesn't like that idea. And they kind of revolt against him. But they think, okay, you know, superstition. This has been the right move because good winds have pushed them out of the Antarctic Sea. And they are now, you know, not going to freeze to death, which is always a plus. But 
it's fickle because, you know, rejoicing over the death of the albatross has sent spirits from the south, the Antarctic, to come up and take hold of the ship. And it controls them into equatorial waters where there is no wind and where they are stuck. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, nor breath, nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. They're stuck. They got nowhere to go. And the, they don't know what to do. And the sailors change their minds again about the mariner. And they force him to wear the albatross around his neck to show that he's sorry and show that he's accepted the burden of his actions. And as this happens, death and then the nightmare, life in death, both reach the ship. And they play a game for the fates of the people on board. Death wins every other person besides the Mariner. The Mariner is cursed to watch every member of his ship die before him and has to live through it and watch watch them with the albatross around his neck. Four times 50 living men, and I heard nor sigh nor groan. With heavy thump, a lifeless lump, they dropped down one by one. The souls did from their bodies fly. They fled to bliss or woe. And every soul had passed me by like the whiz of my crossbow. And the mariner learns to appreciate the beauty of the things that are around him. He's, he sees the creatures of the sea and says that they are beautiful. And he, he grows and his ship is eventually pushed into waters where he can be found. The ship sinks. A boat comes and rescues the mariner. They think he's dead. He's not dead. And he rose to shore and he is now cursed basically to follow everyone around and tell his story to everyone else and it ends sort of with that that little moral that we wanted to take from the mariner because the mariner is finishes his story with the wedding guest and then leaves and it says that the wedding guest wakes up sadder and wiser the next day um, as it says, he prayeth best who loveth best all things, both great and small for the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. And I think it's with that mariner, just that kind of, it's an old word. It's an ancient word. It's one that symbolizes, you know, being in a small group of people on a crew on a boat in the ocean. And I, and I know you've seen pictures of the darkness of the ocean uh, in the middle of the night. Nobody around for miles. Isolating. It's just you and your crew. Same thing for the team. It's just them and their crew for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Nobody around it. I mean, of course, with a baseball team, you've got your fan base. A little bit. Yeah. Rowdy fan base that shows up and cheers you on rather than just yourself. But that that idea of appreciation, that idea of taking what you get and not really asking for more, accepting and loving it as it comes, not really in the position of loving, which is the one piece that I remember, I know you said you loved really well, that it's not just a story about not winning. Or winning a title seems the antithesis to the actual story because yeah. it's about 
you know, how the fans rallied behind this team. They almost lost it in the 90s. Yeah. They, the Mariners continue and the fans still are there and they still appreciate everything that they kind of have been given. I mean, totally, I completely felt that with the um, end of the 2009 season with Ken Griffey Jr., the, oh, and then Ichiro on getting lifted up by the teammates, getting paraded exactly. around the field. Yeah, it, what what he says, John Boy says, it's a not a celebration of the team achievement, or they're not making the playoffs that year, but it's a celebration of individuals. It's a celebration of, you know, people. It's he, people that have made up Seattle baseball for the past twenty years. Yeah. It's a celebration of themselves, as he says. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's like when he brings up the title, like, is this what you want? Here you go. And he does this whole like tangent where he's like, you know, he he makes up these plays that occur in, in various games for them to win the title and shows pictures of them celebrating as if they did win the title. And then he zooms back and then it zooms back out to to show the whole like calendar looking box graph thing of all their seasons mishmash in the one thing. And it's like if you watch this coming away with like the fact that they never won anything, then you're not ready to understand this team or to rather like truly love sports I guess is kind of the major um, greater point that he's making but it's like you know it's it's so uh, obviously as a fan you want to see your team succeed I mean that goes without saying you don't want to see your team lose Um, but like it's so hard to watch your team consistently lose because it's like not fun, you know, to see them lose. Yeah. Right. And I've experienced my fair share of losing for my entire life as an angel fan mm. uh, and other, and my other teams that I, that I am a fan of. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, literally the only time they've won a world series championship, I was two years old. So <laughs> I don't really know what happened. I mean, I know what happened. I've seen, I've seen the like the the 2002 World Series documentary many, many times. I still have the DVD actually for it uh, when they played the Giants and they beat them in seven games. Perfect. Um, But um, yeah, ever since then they haven't won a title. They haven't even been to the playoffs since 2014. And for the Mariners. Well, they made the playoffs. Was the last year? Yeah, they made last the playoffs year. last year. Before last year, they hadn't made the playoffs in over eighteen years. It was two thousand one, the last time. For so almost twenty, almost twenty years, they were in a playoff drought. I had not been born the last time that the Seattle Mariners made the playoffs prior to this last season. Yeah, and they. <laughs> Yeah, they, uh... but like, that's not really what's important, though. True. As as tough as it is to come with that conclusion. But like, 
John and Alex make such a great argument for that. You know, that make that great case about like this team is more than just their oh their lack of success or their player, you know, their Hall of Fame talent that they've had on in their in their past. Um, which is I mean, they they go into great detail about those players, which oh, yeah. I would like to get into. Yeah. But um yeah, it's 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 more than it's more than just their accomplishments as a team. It's it's about the people. And the documentary makes that very clear. Which which what you know a lot of sports documentaries about teams, that's what mostly they're about is like their accomplishment. You know, like Moneyball, for example. I mean, that's not a documentary, but it's it's about you know what actually happened in the 2002 season for the Oakland Athletics, you know, Billy Bean and uh what's his name? Uh Dip Podesta, I forget his first name, but he was the guy who Jonah Hill plays in the movie. Gotcha. Um have you seen Moneyball? I've seen bits. Okay. Well, yeah, but that 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 film, I, I mean it's great. It's I I like that. It's one of Aaron Sorkin's best uh, screenplays. So, and I know you're a fan of his. Oh, I am. So I'd suggest you watch it. <laughs> um, but that that movie is more so about, I guess, Billy Bean. I mean, that's kind of like mostly who's who it who it's about. Yeah. Um, but you can't. It doesn't stray away from like, oh, look at the accomplishment of the A's and like what they you know managed to do this season, or like I look at. Uh, the documentary about the 30 for 30 about the uh, Boston Red Sox when they were down 3-0 in the ALCS and they won and they came back. The only team in baseball history to do that uh, against the Yankees in 2004. I mean, that's a great, I love that 30 for 30, by the way. Sorry. Um, that's a great one. But like, or the last dance, for example, that, I mean, I kind of, slandered it yet uh, last week but i'm gonna yeah. slander it again <laughs> like oh look at i'm michael jordan look how great i am oh look at me look at how good i am oh <laughs> look at me get on your knees for me please um <laughs> man jordan's coming up a lot this was a baseball right <laughs> <battery> here <laughs> nah but um no but yeah the this this documentary it doesn't do any of that, right. uh, which is very unique and what makes it so great and stand out uh, among any other sports documentary that you'd watch, excluding Hoop Dreams, because Hoop Dreams is probably the greatest sports documentary ever made, in my opinion, and is one of the greatest documentaries ever made. But if if we're talking about just a sports team, this is probably the best one you'll ever watch, in my opinion. It's- Enough of that. I, I want to talk about some of the specific episodes or like parts, I guess. Yeah, let's do the players. Let's get. Yeah, to the- like, I mean, <clears throat> for pretty much their first two decades of existence, they weren't really doing much. They were kind of like a, a bottom feeder team for quite a while, but there were some funny stories. You know, you got the one of like that that player who moved every single piece of furniture 
<laughs> was it of his uh of his manager, his coach? Yep. He, yeah. He put, he put he put everything in the bathroom, <laughs> and like the toilet was was like full of like this green goop or whatever. Oh, Jello. <laughs> yeah, Jello, Jello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um. Hmm. Um. Yeah, that story was pretty funny. And like the the blowing of the the foul ball. Uh, when that well, I forget the player that did that. He like got down on all fours and tried to blow a baseball on the foul to foul play. Um, <clears throat> but like you know, the first yeah, the first episode's mostly kind of about those period that period of time where there's not much exciting happening. Uh, there isn't really anybody that stands out or is remarkable on the team. And then they reveal Kent Griff. The 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 reveal is is amazing. Like showing showing his swing. And oh my god. The way they reveal these players is incredible. I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't get it. I'm like, who is this guy? You didn't, didn't get know. it? I didn't know. Oh, you didn't know? Oh. I I was I was too I think I was too young for Ken Griffey. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know. I didn't ever watch him growing up. I wasn't. Well, I mean, neither did I, but I mean, it's the kid. No? Oh, right okay. over my head. Oh, all right. Well, regardless. Ichiro, I, mean, I was like, oh my God, it's Ichiro. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw the arm out and I was like, yeah, oh, God, oh yeah, that's Ichiro. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, then you get it. Then the second episode goes into like King Griff before. Uh well leading up to the nineteen ninety-five season, um, and like his his accomplishments leading up to that that moment. And uh they they go into great detail about how great he is, which this documentary does a great job of kind of showing how incredible their their players were. Yeah. Like their Hall of Fame talent, and they had King Griffey Jr who is considered to be one of the greatest players of all time. Um, and, you know, probably, if not the greatest, uh, well, maybe not. Well, uh, he's he's top five for sure for outfielders. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I'm biased. I got Mike Trout, but. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit, but that's okay. No, he, he's up there now. He's up I mean, there, though. But not only is it just ken griffey too yeah. i mean he's they're using graphs they're using st uh stats about you know performance to show that not only was ken griffey the best center like the best center fielder at the time for his position but also that a rod was the best shortstop in his position um by a getting on base and a hitting metric one of the best offensive producers and then they go to edgar martinez the dh that he was one of the best hitting producing dhs of all time uh and then he did it all like after age 30 too mm -hmm. which is like insane and then you know randy johnson being an ace and one of the best pitchers of all time yep. uh that these guys are all playing on the same team together yep yeah bananas crazy, crazy. But um, you know, it there was a there was a review I read on Letterbox of some guy kind of mentioning this, 
you know, with baseball, right, with fans of the sport kind of obsessing over statistics and, you know, mulling over the value of a player, mere like kind of reducing people to numbers, right? Reducing these players to numbers, which is kind of what happens with, you know, in this documentary with like the statistic of war, which is wins above replacement, basically, you know, how how many more wins will you get with this player over a replacement player, basically, is what uh, that um, statistic kind of points out. I mean, it's a it's a. It's a it's a both a good and a bad statistic. It's not it doesn't tell the full story, but it tells a good amount of production that the player has produced over the course of their career. Like obviously, the higher the better, but it's not the best statistic to tell you how great they are because there's other there's other like saber metrics that could tell you that uh, in more detail than war can. But yeah, they they use war a lot in this you know in in um, kind of describing how great these players were, um, and my like kind of nerdy uh, statistics side of me was like, uh, there, you can, you could do a better job of describing how better these players are than just using war. But I mean, for, for people that aren't heavily into statistics like that, I mean, it kind of, I think it does a good job of like, they do a great job of telling you how great they were. Yeah. Um, I think that that's important too, that they're, they, explain and use the same statistic or two ops and war for the entire documentary and they're not going into these advanced stats i mean they they talk about era but that's a pitcher stat and that's something that a lot of people know like i i i hear people talking about baseball now and they're like well he's got the best hard hit percentage and then his ground balls with the behind in the count and it's it's his contact while behind that number is something that you really got to keep in mind and i'm like <laughs> what they're throwing acronyms all over the place and i'm like what are you talking about that's not a statistic that anybody would need to know um you know there's it's uh like <laughs> how how many um balls would be home runs if they were hit with just a little bit more uh, velocity you know that's not helpful to me yeah 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 well yeah i mean of course then you just be there for hours mulling over stats it'd be boring crying out loud i didn't know what ops was until this documentary i just knew it was something that people measured yeah on base plus slugging and yeah. i'm like okay how do you measure how do you measure slugging i get on base i get batting average Slugging is what exactly? <laughs> oh, I, I I hit a single and my dad said, "Hey, nice job, slugger." Does that give me a point for slugging? <laughs> <laughs> nice job, slugger. <laughs> Gives me a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the consistency yeah. in statistics is uh, I appreciate. I mean, there's probably I think you're right. There probably are better ones, but. Mm, the yeah. consistency is is good it's helpful yeah oh yeah but uh, i mean that that conversation that he brings up in that review um is interesting because like he also mentions moneyball and how like that newfound way and philosophy and methodology of building a baseball team 
like not even kind of stepping away from this old school mentality of like looking at the intangibles of a player and now looking specifically at their numbers, at their production, you know, their projections, what they can do, what they have done. Um, and like introducing the world of saber metrics into the play, which have existed for a while. And they they dr- name dropped Bill James, who wrote a book in the 80s, I think, or the 70s, Bill James Baseball, which was kind of ignored for a long time <clears throat> because at that, you know, the mentality for a lot of the a lot of these like scouts, these managers, these GMs before, you know, Billy Bean and uh, De Podesta came into the fray, you know, too. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of baseball thought, you know, what this is this is stupid. You know, why fix something that isn't broken? Basically, was the was the mentality, and you know the the kind of new methodology of 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 focusing on a player solely on their statistics um, is kind of like is it dehumanizing in a way? I mean, I mean, not necessarily, but like, I don't know from, I don't even know if that's like a, that's probably a stretch. I I also think, I mean, I also think that a number of the statistics or the measurements that John Boyes uses throughout the, and Rubenstein used throughout the documentary is in comparison to other players directly. Yeah. Like by saying... No other shortstop has ever done this in this amount of time, or this is the most hits ever recorded by a player in this amount of like, not just saying, oh, this number is higher than this number, uh, like uh, of an advanced metric, but like Ichiro had more hits than anybody after, you know, turning 27 and was regularly producing you know, this number of, of quality improvement. And what I, what I say to like the, the, the money ball stuff is it's, I mean, I feel like you still need a decent amount of luck there because yes, the numbers are like that right now, but after you get somebody, it could completely change. Yeah. And they mentioned, yeah, they mentioned, they say at least three times Mariners had a player that was not doing too well. They deal them including Randy Johnson. And then immediately after getting traded out of Seattle, they go on a tear and put up some of the best numbers possible of their career. Uh, yeah. Out of when, when, as soon as they leave Seattle, uh, somebody they traded to the giants, Randy Johnson, like puts up a sub 1.5 ERA, which is incredible. Yeah. Like that, that, that idea of not just, identifying the numbers but you also have to get lucky and you you need a little bit of that luck to to help you out and ah there was a story somewhere in the 90s where that luck you know just kind of it never bounced in their favor um be it the wild card chase making the playoffs what twice i think I mean, with the lineup of Griffey and Rodriguez and Martinez and Randy Johnson, 
How many times did they make the playoffs? They only they made it well. They couldn't do it in '94 because of strike. Yeah. Um. '95. '95. They they went to they made it to ALCS and they go into great detail about the ALDS against the Yankees. Yeah. Um. One of and that's one of my that's probably my favorite part of the entire documentary. It's good. Um. God. They. They. Wow. So good. That sequence. Mm -hmm. Um. Talking about. Not only the players, but also Dave Niehaus, their announcer, their TV announcer for like many, many years or yeah. decades rather. Um, but they also made in 96, 97. I don't think they did anything. Oh. And then 2001. But that's after Griffey leaves and that's after Rodriguez leaves. Yeah. And that's after Johnson leaves. Yeah. And then they don't make it in 02 or 03. They have made four it in 01. because they had just missed out barely, yeah. you know, because they didn't win the West. Uh, they they barely missed out on their wild card spot. So and the crazy thing is they're in a team They're They were from this point. They're playing in a division with four teams. They're one of four. Everybody else has five. There's one division in the National League that has six teams at this point. They have really wait. What's what division is that? It was the central. They had the Astros as well. Oh, okay. Up until they moved back to the American League and filled yeah. that spot in yeah, the mid twenty tens. Yeah, but like the Mariners had better started off the season with better division title odds than most other teams in baseball, and they still couldn't win the division for the guaranteed <laughs> spot, and they weren't a good enough second place team by a win or two if that yeah to make as a wild card yeah and it's that's that's crushing that's soul crushing yeah yeah and despite all that like the you know the final bits of it reiterates this fact like the fans still are there no matter what oh yeah like no matter like as bad as that period of time for like 2005 to even present day really yeah it's been utter and sheer disaster on the field like nothing but losing seasons really and what they what they elaborate on since 2010 or 2012 i think they've alternated between a winning and a losing season every year yeah 2019 they had a really bad losing season 2020 the COVID year, they had one of the, uh, they had to have had one of the worst records, worst records in the American League, because MLB expanded the playoffs to sixteen teams, more than half the league, the top two teams in each division plus the next two best teams would make the playoffs, and the Seattle Mariners missed the playoffs that year. Yeah, so the um, <laughs> The well, eh, it sucks sometimes. Uh, we go to 2021. Mariners are close, but they miss again. And then if we come to last year, they have finally expand. They've expanded the um playoffs to six teams now, yeah. with three wild card spots. Mm -hmm. The Mariners break that drought in. 2022 
um, with a winning record. Finally. Yeah. Uh, they beat the Toronto Blue Jays in a best of three. Yeah, the wild card. Wild card no, yeah, the wild card. And they make it to the, the LDS, the division series, where they play the Houston Astros, division rival. Is it the Astros or was it the Guardians? Or the no, Houston? it was the Astros. They yeah. play the Astros. They play in the Astros, and it's three out of five, and they drop the first two games. All right, that's okay. Game three. And I, I mentioned this just because I was watching this game three. On a What's Saturday the whole night. thing? Well, not the whole thing. No, oh, it's okay. Saturday, I was going to say. No, here. It's Saturday night, October 15th. I have just board operated a West Virginia soccer game. <laughs> My parents are in town for the parents weekend. I go to see them. And I'm in their hotel room. I'm with my sister, my mom, and my dad in our <laughs> hotel room. And my dad keeps switching between uh, Pitch Perfect, the <laughs> movie, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> and then the game between the Mariners and the Astros um, in extras, which I think is the longest postseason game in history. Yeah. Goes 18 innings. 18 in- They play two games. Two games. And the they Mariners. the length of two games. And the Mariners lose one nothing. That's so heartbreaking, man. It's that luck again. Yeah. Twisting a little bit. And as of this recording right now in the 2023 season, the Seattle Mariners sit at 500. Yeah. They're fourth place. And 34. Yeah. Yeah, they're fourth place right now in the in the West. Where are the Angels? Angels are tied for second. Hey, not bad. Yeah, they're three and a half back from the Rangers, which are a surprise. Oh yeah, they're a very surprising team this season. Yeah, but anyways, <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, yeah, they because they... that'd be a perfect addition into this this documentary talking yeah. about that that series. Oh yeah, and that game specifically. Like an 18 inning grueler, a grueler for that long, and they lose. Like, dang, man, that is that is just terrible. One to nothing. Yeah, I'm, one to nothing. The last, they, and they and and they mean they mentioned like a couple of seasons that happened recently when I think it was 2015 or 2016. Yeah, when the Mariners had, uh, a winning season, but they had the worst run differential uh, of that like Ever. record. Yeah, of, like if a team over eighty-eight wins, they are the worst team, or they are the they have they are the team with the worst run differential in history with that amount of wins. Yeah, will be like and, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they did it again. Uh, a decade prior, they were the worst team uh, with run di- in terms of run differential, uh, like ten or winning record. Prior. Yeah, it was like eighty-eight, and of teams that have won eighty-eight and eighty-nine day games, those Mariners teams have the worst run differential. Yeah, it was like negative twenty-seven. I think it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. And the other thing <laughs> that that luckiness graph, the graph of how lucky a team gets. Yeah. Um, the one team that beat them in the division when they had a great chance to go, uh, 2016 it was, were the Rangers. 95 wins. 
statistically the luckiest team in baseball ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, that season, the Mariners actually had a positive run differential. Yeah. The Rangers had like near to neutral. They were close to neutral. They did everything right. The Mariners did everything right, except the Rangers got more lucky. Yeah. They, like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. And, and they, like, and then, yeah. And then they talk about like King Felix, mm-hmm. right? His, his career. Um, and like the way they parallel that with Ken Griffey, Ichiro, uh, the other greats of this team, and how he stayed despite the the losing. He stayed. He stayed, and you know was the true Mariner. Um, and, yeah. Like his, say, like, oh no, what are you gonna say? They say the only hardware that he could go for, not a World Series trophy, was a Hall of Fame plaque. Yeah. It's that or nothing because yeah. he wasn't even making then, playoffs. He wasn't making yeah. World Series. And even then, yeah, you're right. He tailed off at the end of his career. Yeah. That's more in question of whether or not he can actually make he, it. He's definitely not making them the I mean, Hall of Fame now. And, and you know what? If you want to throw another wrench into how, how this documentary could continue, it's, oh. you know, they, they have their new young 20-year-old phenom. He's 20 yeah, right. Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, that's right. They got their new um, franchise star. Is he is he able to, you know, help him out? He's a, he's a center fielder too, I think. Oh my god, of course he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he is. I know I he's right. I think he's an outfielder, yeah. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> and it's not I think another cool thing that they do is that they keep it specifically with baseball. They don't mention the city of Seattle. They don't mention the city uh, being a sports city and and all the other accolades that have come there. They don't mention. Oh yeah, they don't talk about the Seahawks. Yeah, and winning a they've won a Super Bowl. They've also yeah. you know lost a Super Bowl, two of them in fact. I yeah. think. Um, they don't talk about. I mean, they can't talk about because they can't predict the future. But they don't talk about hockey. They're the Kraken expansion team making the playoffs, um, in their first season in the league. Uh, they don't. They they they're not talking about the other sports that the the city has. They talk about baseball and what this baseball team has meant to the city and what the baseball team means in grander terms. Mm-hmm. And I I think that 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 staying on message is really important because I I don't I don't think you could make a docu series like this about another team. You could do it with a city, sure. I mean, I think Buffalo's got to be near the top of that list for cities to consider for that. But that's an entire place, not yeah. one team. Well, they did. They did one on the Falcons. Yes, they did. A couple of years later. Yeah, which, which I is good. I think it's great, but I don't think it's as good as uh, this one. I believe it. Yeah. I mean, the Bills get a little bit of a shout out. Um, as they uh in 2017, as they're going through the final episode of the, the final part of the docu series, um, the Bills clinched the uh, clinched the playoffs with help from another team, um, and which which passed on the torch to the Mariners for the longest uh, postseason drought in North American sports. <laughs> the Bills. I, I remember where I was. I was on my living room couch and I watched. 
Andy Dalton throw a 50 some yard touchdown on fourth and 14 <laughs> to, to beat the Baltimore Ravens and send the bills to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years, 20 plus years. Wow. And in the playoffs, they score a field goal against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, but like, you know, we, we can talk about, you know, Buffalo and all the chances that they had and the coulda, shoulda, woulda, the 90s, oh, four straight Super yeah, Bowls. Four straight Bills. Super Bowls, yeah. The Buffalo Sabres. I mean, if we look at longest current postseason droughts, um, number one, as of, I mean, I looked at this list that was published as the Mariners made the playoffs, which is like, okay, they made it. So now who's got it? Well, number one was the Sacramento Kings who just made the NBA playoffs earlier this year. And then the two teams tied for second are the New York Jets of football and the Buffalo Sabres of hockey. (laughs) And the Sabres uh, are famously kind of robbed of a uh, Stanley Cup in the 90s and have never been back success since. Yeah. Well, with the Mariners, they never even been to the World Series. Exactly. And so, you know, we we see these seasons because the way they like visualize their history is pretty cool. Like each it looks like a calendar. Mm-hmm. But each like day is a season. Yep. Um, And then they have like their win loss record visualized by this like green and red kind of. Like mountain looking graph, I don't even know what you would call it bar graph it's every something like that every game yeah every game played yeah represented by like these little bumps but 1995 was like their first season making the playoffs and that year uh the city was in strong consideration of even of getting rid of that team getting rid of the mariners because the the citizens were like well kind of fed up with the lack of you know success and whatnot uh from the team and like not doing anything and And so there was a vote held to make funds for the new stadium which is now safeco which is now t-mobile park um and so because they played in the kingdom they had to, yeah. They had to raise vote to raise sales tax in the state. Yeah, to build fund. to fund the new stadium. Yeah. And so basically, the Mariners had to do is they actually had a they were like they were slightly behind. They were quite a bit behind in the standings. So the Angels were in first by quite a lot, and and by like I think it was August or something that they mentioned. Yeah, I think they were up in the standings like probably 15 games or something. I think I know it was above 10. It was 10 or above. So it was quite it was quite a lead. They had they had quite a large lead. Mm. And what proceeded to occur is one of the greatest collapses in Angels history in, in the franchise history. They proceeded to lose 10 games in a row. Not that they do that once. They did that twice. Twice. 
I can't imagine my dad, bro. My dad was probably like losing his mind while experiencing that live, you know, in real life in real time. Uh, but the Mariners capitalized and they managed to crawl back into the standings and they played a tiebreaker game to decide who would win the division and go into the playoffs. So this was before the wild card existed. This was only the division series and the championship series. So they played a one game, one game tiebreaker. They obviously put Randy Johnson on the mound and they won the game pretty comfortably. Um, the angels were knocked out. Um, and then they went to the playoffs. And so their first opponent they face are the evil empire, the Yankees. Oh boy. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and uh prior prior to this, they when they talk about Ken Griff, they talk about his dad and how he hated playing for the Yankees and or how Ken Griff kind of hated the Yankees. There was a he just disliked them tremendously because when he was a kid, um the manager of yeah. the team when his dad played for them at the time was like, uh, tell your son or whatever to chill out or something like that. Like, cause I guess he was like running around laughing, having a good time in the locker room. And his dad was very offended by that. And kind of ever since that moment, there was a, a vendetta that Ken Griff had with the Yankees. Um, and brief side note too. um, Ken Griff and his dad played together on the Mariners for a year, I think. And yep. they they are the only father and son duo to have had to have hit back to back home runs That's cool. in a game, which is pretty cool. Um but so so you have that kind of like context in the back of your mind where it's like Ken Griff, this is his uh rival team. And this was basically the start. Well, not quite yet, but what what is soon to occur in the next few years is the dynasty that the Yankees were to build up. They would win, I think, four titles in five years or six years or something like that. Something crazy. Yeah, It was yeah. what, 96, 98, 99. They went there in 2000. I think they won in 2000 against the Mets. Yeah, they won in 2000 to the Diamondbacks. And then in they 03, won. they lost to the Marlins. Yeah, they lost to the Marlins in 97 and 03, I think. They made it. They made it like six times at least. Yeah. To the yeah. World Series. Not just yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, which is incredibly difficult. That's probably one of the hardest things in sports to do. Yeah. Like considering how long the baseball season is. Oh, yeah. 162 games. You got to play good that consistently. And not only that, the postseason begins, then you have to play very, very well uh, for the next month yeah. of October, pretty much the whole month of October to even get to the World Series and win it. So that's probably the most difficult sports team achievements to do in in uh, in like professional sports, I think. I don't know. I know some people disagree, but that's just my opinion. But anyways, so they face off in the, the 95 ALDS best of five series. Um, and they go into detail of the 
of the of the series and what they do is they they kind of uh while the series is happening we have a live kind of check-in on the vote yes over the course of the series so as each game progresses we see the vote and like how many people are saying yes to keeping the team or no to not keeping the team and as the series progresses i forget like the order of wins of like who wins what game and what game i obviously they went down nothing it went down to game five basically it got to game five in uh the kingdom um and so Randy Johnson's oh no, he's not he's not starting the game. He comes no. in the relief. Yeah, he started game three, the winner. Yeah, they had the win, and they did. Yeah. So game five, it's a grueler. Um, it goes down to the wire, and basically Randy Johnson comes in, pitches many innings of relief into the extras, right? They go into the extra innings, right? Yep. Yeah, they go into the extra innings. And um the Mariners come into the bottom of the 11th I think you're right yep 11th or 10th I think it's 11th 11 um and so they they start a little rally um a couple of men get on base Ken Griffey on second I forget who's on first but I know up to bat is uh Edgar Martinez and 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 actually on deck, funnily enough, is Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, he's on deck. Um, but, but on base is Ken Griffey Jr. too. Yeah, on base he's on second. He's in scoring position. And so what uh, proceeds to occur is one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen. Uh, but to sell you, Lloyd. Okay, well it's not filmed on film, but I, I this is probably my favorite sports like documentary documentary sequences ever where John basically is like, here are the, here, you know, we've seen the culmination of these, of this team up until this point, they are playing to survive as a team for this team to stay in Seattle. And they, you know, they mentioned Ken Griffey jr. They mentioned Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez and Dave Niehaus. All of these men up until this point have kind of like brought this team to this moment. And Dave Niehaus, not a player. He's a, an announcer. Um, but like he's he's like one of the all time greatest announcers um, as they kind of go into a little bit briefly. And uh, they kind of mention or they say the word or John says this moment belongs to these four men. And we all we see is the the clip of Martinez's double down the left field line, and yeah. Ken Griff scoring and winning the game on a walk off. God, it's so beautiful. It's amazing. It's really good. And Dave Niehaus's obviously call is extremely iconic. Um, yeah, moves me to tears. It's just it's amazing, incredible. Well, yeah, probably the best sequence in the entire documentary. It's I great. would say it's incredible. And I, I don't even like the Mariners. I don't even like the Mariners. I'm 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 moved. I'm genuinely moved by it. It's incredible. I don't I can't I can't I, like John Boyce. The guy's a genius. Yeah. 
The guy's a genius. And Alex Rubenstein, too. I, I mean, I got to give him props, too. He he also co-wrote, co-wrote it, too. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. I, 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 you know, they, they, I did, I mentioned it a little bit more with, um, Field of Dreams when I was talking about it in my year in review. It's one of my dad's favorite movies and I watched it and I really enjoyed it too because it's not, yeah, it's a baseball movie. And yeah, we get that. It, it's a baseball movie where the whole, a lot of the plot revolves around a baseball field and keeping it but you know it, it's more there there's something a little bit more than just it's just a sport like they rope in writers and they rope in ideology and they rope in everything that you possibly can um to you know maintain that knowledge that it's just a small piece and it's the stories that help um everything be a little bit greater a little bit grander and we can look at this yeah like he says and and what you said was another one of your favorite spots it's not just about winning i mean in i think it's in the fourth part of six they show the rest of the graphs for the entire 2000s and they're all mediocre and none of them are great and none of them reach the playoffs. And he's like, well, if you care about winning and losing, there you go. That's the winning and losing. That's what they do uh, statistically. And that's what happens. And that's it. Why do we keep watching? There's probably an hour of documentary left after he says that little bit. Why do we keep watching? Because it's the story. It's the stories about leaving jello in your manager's toilet when you're on a contract year for pitching. Um, it's the story of before you're, uh, as you're building your stadium, a fan gets locked into a porta potty outside. It's the fact that 90 years before where we are today, some guy burnt down a baseball field and now there's a baseball field there. Like it's the little fun stories that, you know, humanize the team and humanize the people playing it, playing for this team, but also make you say it's not about the wins and the losses because the Seattle Mariners bounce between good and bad years. They don't rebuild, and they don't experience the profound long-term success that maybe the Patriots have or the, the Yankees have. But it's about that that story. It's about that. Um, progression it's about that uh growth it's more than that it's the winning and the losing doesn't matter it's that they're going to keep going and so will we yeah it's the people it's the people that matter yeah exactly and um yeah the 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 film beautifully showcases that through the various stories that it tells and with the people that it celebrates, you know, particularly the, the greats of the franchise. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but like, yeah, I mean, 
after that 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 double was basically the hit that saved the team essentially because if they didn't win that series they the Mariners probably wouldn't exist anymore or they probably wouldn't exist to this day rather they get but, moved to some other city probably yeah, yeah. and yeah we wouldn't we wouldn't have the documentary that we have today <laughs> exactly but it's it's crazy though it's like Despite despite losing all that talent we mentioned earlier, like in two thousand one, they they tied the the MLB record for most wins in a single season with one hundred and sixteen. And despite that, they lost. They didn't even make it the World Series. They lost to the Yankees in the ALCS. Of course, they did. Uh, well, yeah, Yankees Yankees getting their revenge in five two. Yeah, five games. Close. So they got. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Um, and Ichiro, yeah, man, Ichiro. I like if if he played, if he play, if he was allowed to play with the team, um, in the nineties, like maybe they have won maybe they won a championship but i mean ultimately it doesn't really matter but like imagine i can't i can't imagine having a team with all those players with it all at once yeah which is crazy and like ichiro um he we kind of get a brief footnote of how he met ken griff at a dinner in was in cincinnati or something i think so wherever, wherever it was and Ichiro meets Ken Griff, and that was like the moment Ichiro was like, "Yes, I want to play for the Mariners, and I want to play with Ken Griffey. Like this is my dream." Yeah. And he does and doesn't get that. He comes a little too late because Griffey leaves to go go home, as like this is a thing that occurs, as you mentioned, like with a couple of managers, Lou Pinella. Yep. He literally goes back home. The the Mariners had a winning season that year, but he goes to the Tampa Bay Rays, who lost a hundred games that year. Right, so he goes to a way worse team. And then there was another manager who literally resigned in the middle of a winning season. And a couple of months later, he's coaching a semi-pro team in the middle of nowhere, back where he lives, like near his home. Yeah, and Ken Griff. In near the beginning of the 2010 season, or no, near the middle of the yep. 2010 season, um, he literally leaves. He drives across the country to go back home in Orlando, Florida. He said it took him 46 hours or something. Yeah, from Seattle, Seattle to Orlando, Florida. Ridiculous. That's crazy. The guy drove that long. Because he missed home that bad. There was a guy. There there was a a piece of that. There's a guy at a gas station in Montana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jay Buhner's friend. Who sees Ken Griffey filling up his tank and he calls Jay Buhner, a former member of that 90s Mariners team who is hitting really well and playing great for them. uh, Of course, a friend of Ken Griffey Jr. because they played together. He's like, hey, you know, I, I don't know about this, but I just saw Ken Griffey at a gas station in Montana. 
And Buner's like, what, what are you talking about? There was a Mariners game today. What do you what do you mean in Montana? And Buner calls Griffey and he's on his way home. You're you're 100 percent right. Yeah. Yeah. And the season prior, where Ichiro and Ken Griff finally play together, a season together, um, as teammates, the 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 dream that Ichiro has longed for for basically his entire career at this point. Um, which by the way, he started very old. He started at 27. Which I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, that. he started at 27 in the MLB. If he started like in his teens or early 20s, he probably would have 4,000 hits. He most definitely would have 4,000 hits in uh, in MLB. He'd be the all-time hit hit leader, hit king, uh, oh, yeah. overtaking Pete Rose, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. And so should Barry Bonds, too. Ooh. Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. He should. He deserves it. I agree with the Pete Rose take. I'm not so certain about the Barry Bonds take. Mm. I agree with Pete Rose 100%. <laughs> now, Barry Bonds desert, des- belongs in the Hall. He does. Greatest hitter of all time. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? Fair. But, you know, other PED users are. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, we'll see what happens with A-Rod soon. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We'll see. <clears throat> but although Ken Griff, Ken Griff, I mean, didn't never did. I mean, we don't know if he actually did or not. But it's general consensus that he never cheated. He never took PEDs. Um, but Barry Bonds, I mean, there was that like conversation that allegedly happened between the two of them because I guess they're good friends. Well, yeah, they're good friends, and you know. There was that home run chase that kept occurring for Ken Griff. Yeah. To catch Roger Maris's 62, wow. right? Six, 61 home runs uh, in a single season, that record. And it was 1998 where he was probably on pace to break it. But everyone forgot about it because everyone started focusing on Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and their home run chase for the record. And Griffey finishes with 56 and gets overshadowed again. While great, a, a similarly great season to the season he had before, overshadowed yeah. by luck and misfortune. And yeah, national attention just goes somewhere else because that's yeah. what it's yeah, yeah. And it's like, and Barry Bonds, who had been producing probably not only just as great seasons as Ken Griff, but even better seasons than Ken Griff um, during the nineties. He was also overshadowed in the, in the, in the spotlight. And so he kind of felt jaded by that and was like, you know what, if these dudes are te- are cheating and are getting away with it, I'm just going to do it too. And I mean, they say that conversation never happened, but let's just say it did. Like, I mean, hmm. I'm, I don't, I don't really take I I don't kind of mind his mindset, but I mean, on the other hand, he didn't need to cheat because he was already great. Yeah. You know, he was already one of the greatest players of all time before he started taking pads. And like, so you don't he doesn't really need it. But when he did take him, he came even greater. And. 
John kind of goes into this little tangent about like cheating and why it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, cheating in sports, like who cares? You know, I, I agree and don't agree with this take, but I mean, I don't know. I, I do think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. I mean, I just think the the Hall's tenure eligibility is kind of silly. Yeah, that's dumb too. I don't I mean, like that, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but all that to say, in that 2009 when the season ended and they weren't making the playoffs, and like Ichiro and Ken Griff, they were on the shoulders of their teammates getting graded around the the field and you know all the fans cheering them on and like that that was that was such a beautiful moment like you know celebrate they're not celebrating you know the team's history they're celebrating each other they're celebrating life god it's, it's dude it's so it's so beautiful i love that and um yeah, and Ken Griff, he could have said, "All right, I'm retiring after this," but he didn't, and then it was not as happy the next season. It was a lot sadder, and depressing. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of been the story of the Mariners since then. I mean, it's getting a little bit more optimistic for them, and they had obviously King Felix on the mound for many years, for like 15 years, he was on the team. With like multiple seasons of like like Hall of Fame level production, uh, from him, a perfect. They were game. all wasted. They're all kind of like wasted. He never got any true run support from from like the offensive side of the, of the ball, right? And that was just. But he stayed. He stuck. He stuck around despite that. He could have. He he could have went to a contender and won a, won championships, but he, that wasn't for him. I mean, I respect that. I respect that tremendously. And the closest he he's the only pitcher. I think they said uh, what with I think it, I think they used war again. He's the only pitcher with I think what's fifty wins above replacement, who to have never made the playoffs, never appeared in a playoff game. The only one. Yeah, yeah. That's and funny. he the closest that he ever came was a game one hundred sixty two. Mariners needed to win, and. The A's needed to lose. Yeah, 2014. The A's game started before the Mariners game. Hernandez is pitching. Uh, He pitches five and a third innings. And by that point, the A's have won. They've clinched the playoffs and knocked the Mariners out of contention. And they pull Felix. And they use this, this stat to measure how good and dominant a pitching performance is. And... Of all starts that last five and a third inning, that is the single greatest. Yeah, five and a third innings pitched yeah. outing. Yeah, of all time. Yeah, <laughs> statistically, not like opinion, but statistically. Statistically, yeah. One hit. That's it. <laughs> no runs. One hit. Yeah. No walks. Nothing to show for it. Yeah. And they, yeah, they show his like reaction to the news of the A's winning, and he's just so defeated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 
it's like the it's the mariner it's the sea and its relationship with the people of seattle and how it challenges them and rewards them mostly cha- mostly challenges but uh you know few few rewards here and there but it ebbs and it ebbs and flows like a winning or a losing record yeah. like a crew turning on you and praising you for what you've done um eventually just having to tell your story and be happy with what we have yeah yeah very nice i mean i love man i love this documentary i i can watch it over and over again never get tired of it it's good it's it's amazing amazing and it's free to watch it's free to watch on youtube you don't need to pay a dime to watch it you can get advertised too but you can just skip those yeah but isn't that incredible like something as good as this is on youtube that's crazy pretty cool (laughs) crazy man i wish i wish like there was some way that like he would have been recognized with like awards and stuff uh john and alex with this uh with the documentary and like you know getting nominated for something that would have been cool but they never did as far as i know um but you know it's okay it's a winner in my heart Hmm. (laughs) well that's what criterion criterion uh you releasing this anytime soon (laughs) no (laughs) well you listen, you wonderful listeners of the Cinematic Odyssey have a little bit more time to sit with this. Um, as next week, there will not be a new episode. No, uh, unfortunately, I'll be in Europe and I'll be in a cabin in the woods. Ah, uh, okay, that sounds scary. It's not <laughs> cabin in the woods, yeah. I've never seen the movie, you know. Neither have I. Yeah, I know. I know you're talking about a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, but you've got to wait. Sadly, two weeks for the next one. We'll we'll release a July schedule. Yeah. If you want to know what's coming next, and if you want to come on, come on and uh, uh, see what episode is coming next. You know, before you get the notification on your Apple podcast or your Spotify or whatever you listen to your podcast saying, Oh, a new episode of the cinematic odyssey. Uh, you could just follow us on Instagram at odyssey.of.cinema. Right. And you right. can see all of that like immediately. Yeah. And you don't have to wait. You don't have to play the guessing game. You That's right. Watch, you can watch this stuff ahead of time, <laughs> which you should be doing by the you way. You should be doing. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> it's, it's like, we're assigning you homework. Or like your fun teachers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Your cross-country teachers. Hey, we're almost at 50 episodes, I think. We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting close. Getting closer and closer. Feels good. Exciting. Yeah. We got to do something big for that. <laughs> Not another Neil Breen, please. <laughs> I'll drop to my knees. Don't, don't make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> MCU ranked the tier list. <laughs> Something completely out out of the ordinary. <laughs> Transformers uh, marathon. Uh, no, the Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels movies. <laughs> yes, yes, from my childhood. Yep. Oh, lovely! <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> oh, what a time! Yeah. Well, 
that's it for now. That's been uh, the history of the Seattle Mariners. John Boyce, Alex Rubenstein. Go watch his other stuff. Go watch uh, pretty, pretty good, and like the other stuff that they've done together uh, on Dorktown on the Secret Base YouTube channel. You know, yeah, obviously the history of the Atlanta Falcons, which is also really great. Um, Dave Steeb. Uh, the Dave State Dave Steve documentary, uh, which I need to see. Uh, I also mentioned the MJ Charlotte Bobcats documentary. Um, what else? Oh yeah, his chart party stuff too. Like this, the search for the saddest punt in the world, the Bob emergency. That one's great. I love the the Bob emergency. Um. <laughs> other stuff that he scored gami yep oh that's so cool yeah um but yeah go watch go watch uh, john boyce's other stuff i i cannot recommend it highly enough but i would say start i would i would certainly start with this because i think this is a good introduction to how he does his stuff like with his uh particular style of filmmaking um with like the google maps kind of thing that he does although he doesn't really do that in this that much but the synthetic kind of program i don't even know like photoshop thing whatever you know (laughs) i can't can't really describe it i'm not very good at describing what it is anyways it doesn't matter it looks cool uh john boyce History of the Seattle Mariners forever.